0: Episode 73, Planets and Squeezars. And welcome back for another edition of the Syzygy podcast. Joining me across the other side of the country as ever, Emily Brunston. Emily, how are you doing?
1: Yeah, I'm not too bad, you know, getting through this uh, lockdown 2.0. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Those of you who aren't in the the, the great country of the United Kingdom, um, great bunch of countries of the United Kingdom, uh, may not be aware that we are going through lockdown number two. Uh, number two in a series of N, perhaps, who knows? Uh, but we're just coming to the end of that, and now we're figuring out all of the coronavirus tears, T T I E R T E I R. how do you spell tear? I don't know. Um, Trying to figure out exactly what conditions we're going to be living under in this country. And that's all loads of fun. So whatever you're dealing with coronavirus-wise in wherever you are, good luck with that as we battle on towards the end of... What has been a very, very interesting year of 2020. Um, you might have noticed we haven't been recording a hell of a lot over the last little while. Thank you to those of you who have been sort of checking in and going, Syzygy, are you still there? Are you still around? We are still around and we are still intending to do this podcast regularly and frequently in the future. Just right now, we're just trying to, to pull everything together. Emily in particular, you're looking forward to actually travelling, which staggers me, you're going to be (laughs) heading off on an actual aeroplane to an actual other country, which is cool.
1: Well, I know. It sounds very uh, glamorous now, doesn't it, in these strange times?
0: It sounds very much. (laughs) It's kind of like we've just gone back in time. In the future, people will get on planes and travel to other countries. No, that's not possible. But apparently it's true.
1: Yeah, and I've been very fortunate to be able to um, get all the uh, ducks in a row in terms of things like uh, quarantine visas and air... air, um, actual flights uh, and I'm able to get back out to New Zealand for a short time over the next couple of months
0: which is staggering so the next edition of this podcast will be live from the other side of the world which will be which will be very very cool but listen let's get on with the show today we were going to talk about look the, over the last while we've had a few shows which have been about Black holes. And you can't have too many shows about black holes, I reckon, because they're just so awesomely cool. You know, this this strange part of, of the, the space-time continuum which has collapsed in on itself to a point where nothing can escape. And they're, they're just freaky things. But today we're going to talk about things which go around black holes. Things which are using black holes as their gravitational centre. Emily, what are we talking about today? We've got, a, we've got a couple of really nice terms that I'd never heard of before. What's the show about today?
1: Well, we're going to be looking at planets and squeezers.
0: Planets and squeezers. All right, so we're going to have to, to, to delve into this one, take it apart one by one. Shall we start with planets then? Emily, what's a planet and where is does <laughs> this new term in astronomy come from?
1: Well, um, I, I teased you just before, and I said, "Well, you know, maybe planets are, are planets which have really nice, cosy blankets to take uh, with them to bed each you night." You know
0: what? It, here in here in York today, it's cold and it's wet, and I could really use a blanket right now. <laughs> I could. <laughs> that'd be just nice. You could curl up with a nice, cosy planet and that'd be lovely. But that's not what we're talking about, is it? We're not no. talking about planets with nice blankies. We're talking about what?
1: Black hole planets.
0: Black hole planets. Now, sorry, this isn't. A planet that is itself a black hole that doesn't make any sense so what's it what are we talking about is it planets no. going around black holes
1: planets going around black holes exactly
0: i think i saw this film didn't i see this <laughs> film isn't this isn't this basically the the middle third of interstellar that's Indeed. the planet with the big waves on it isn't
1: it well yeah interstellar in some ways kind of preempted um a little bit some of the things that we're going to be talking about which is um planets going around black holes although as we'll talk about they're maybe not quite as um, evocative and friendly as they are in the film
0: it was uh, it was an interesting part of the film there are there are a number of things that i looked at in that in that particular part. And if you haven't seen interstellar i don't look i think it's it's been out long enough that we're not going to give away any big spoilers here i don't think but at one point in the film the main protagonists go down onto a, a planet which is orbiting a black hole which in itself is very cool for a bunch of reasons. One, because it's just a pretty funky idea. Two, because the whole concept of... But hang on, surely black holes, they're like just big vacuum cleaners, aren't they? Like big hoovers, don't they just suck up everything that comes near? But No, they're, they're just really, really massive things, which like every other really massive thing, like a star, you know, they have a gravitational field around them and something can be in orbit around that. So that's fine. One of the really funky things about, about this part of the movie is that because... This, the curvature of space-time is so strong around this black hole, they go down towards this planet and time does really, really weird stuff, doesn't it? So they they sort of, you know, whatever it is, a couple of days or something in the time frame of the protagonists becomes, what, a decade or something on the dude left behind on the spaceship? <laughs> which is, like, I'm surprised he didn't just pull out a shotgun and start shooting people by the time they got back. One thing I wanted to know in that film, though, was they were down on the surface of that planet and it was like daylight. Like, where's the daylight coming from? You're in, you're in orbit around a black hole where's the daylight coming yeah,
1: from Yeah, and they were sort of close enough that they could there were some shots of you know that this is the where the black hole is in relation to the planets. They weren't that far away from the black hole yeah, when they did that yeah. those kind of shots, which was a little bit concerning. So, yeah. I mean, as 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 we'll talk about, they, there is radiation coming from black holes, but it's maybe not the kind that you <laughs> super really want to get If that you're close looking to. for
0: a habitable planet, a avoid one with really really big waves, spoiler. Um, but also maybe avoid one around a really just nasty radiation source called a black hole i don't know going out on a limb here anyway that's enough about the film let's go from science fiction to science reality are you saying emily that the film kind of preempted this and a bunch of astronomers watched the film and went hey there's a research grant in that should we go and look for go and look for some black hole planets and by the way let's coin a new term let's call them planets
1: well, it's a nice story, actually, in the sense that I can't comment on whether the um, astronomers in question here actually have seen the film and therefore um, wrote their photograph based on it.
0: But well, I think someone should be, ask them. If they haven't been asked, we possible. should ask them.
1: Um, so this is a team um, which was led by Wada uh, from um, Japan. So various uh, astronomers, and what they were looking at, um, they did a first piece of research, which was published in November last year, which was kind of looking at, is there actually sort of a place that you could form planets around a black hole? Does this whole concept even work? Uh, And they were able to show that they had the safe zone, if you like, um, where you could form planets and they could orbit. And then following on from that in July this year, which is why we sort of picked this up uh, in the summer. And we, I think we promised this episode quite a while ago.
0: <laughs> this one's been sitting there for a while on the on the whiteboard, the virtual whiteboard of Emily's virtual office, which is, yeah, we should do a show about that some someday. Well, here we are.
1: Yeah, so in July, they released uh, the, the new preprint of um, kind of some more detailed calculations of how these planets could form. Uh, they solved some of the problems that they identified in the first paper. And uh, yeah, so basically they were able to theorize is uh, using all the information that we know about the um, locations, the environment around black holes, and say, hey, look, actually, you can form these planets here. This and
0: is possible. It. Now, what's the what's the problem here? Because, I mean, as I said a minute ago, in a sense, a black hole is, is just like any other massive object in the universe. Right? It's very concentrated. It's kind of weird. But when it comes to it, something nearby just simply sees it as a big massive lump with a gravitational field as a result, and so it can orbit around it. But what what's the problem here in the sense of, like, why was there any question about this? Surely if you've got a big lump of mass and a gravitational field thereof, then you can orbit around it. Why, why was there a question about that?
1: So there's no question really about the orbit, it's more about the formation. Can you actually form these ah, things there in the first place? Right. Um, so black holes have accretion disks in a very sort of similar broad way that uh, stars, when they form, have accretion disks. So when a star collapses from a cloud of gas and dust, it forms this disk of material around it, and that disk um, eventually, in that disk, the planets are formed. So I guess the the broad concept is the same. A black hole has this accretion disk of kind of all this material around it. Could that stuff kind of stick together and make planets? Right. Even though the environment is, yeah pretty different
0: <laughs> pretty pretty different but in principle possible where does like when a star is forming right a star is forming out of a out of a cloud of dust and junk in space you know the whether that's the the debris from previous stars or whatever and it's forming out of the same material that the accretion disk ultimately becomes as well when you've got a black hole though the black hole is is like that's the end of a star that's that's the end of a star's life. So where's the accretion disk for a black hole come from?
1: Well, it's mostly come from all the stuff that's come a bit too close to the black hole being torn apart and never been able to kind of form into stars and things uh, from that point onwards. So if you, so these supermassive black holes, their origins are not particularly well understood, uh, but there's probably things from galaxy mergers, uh, things so to make the supermassive black hole, you've got to kind of build up from smaller black holes and um, it's likely that in the process of uh, say small galaxies forming uh, merging into bigger ones and then bigger galaxies merging together that these uh, you know just the leftover stuff or the stuff that's been either never went into the stars from the uh, interstellar medium from these galaxies or stuff that's been ripped apart from these objects is just sort of lurking around in this disk.
0: Right so we're talking about supermassive black holes Um, as opposed to your perhaps common or garden variety black hole black hole left over from the death death of a star. In this particular case, in this particular paper, in this particular study, we're talking about supermassive black holes, which are the ones that tend to be at the heart of galaxies. We think probably at the heart of all or most galaxies yeah pretty much
1: um and they're sort of they come in a lot of different varieties um and we'll talk about uh the agn varieties which are the ones that are active actively feeding black holes which make active galactic nuclei
0: okay so what you're saying then is supermassive black hole they're going to tend to Pretty badly disrupt their local environment, and so you end up with all sorts of things being torn apart by the ridiculously strong gravitational fields, and that's where your accretion disk comes from. And so this research back, which was released or, or updated back in June, July, July um, yeah. in July, is about in that accretion disk, can you maybe form planets in a in a sort of stable kind of way? Okay, and the answer to that is seemingly
1: yes. All, all, all indicators point to yes.
0: Fantastic. So does that mean that we can now go and look for some? Have any been found? Is that a ridiculously well, impossible question?
1: I think we need to sort of look at what those planets might actually be because they're not exactly what you might expect in terms of a, a, a re... Um, copy of our solar system around a black hole.
0: <laughs> right. So whats what you're saying, we're not necessarily going and looking for another Earth going around one of these no, things? Okay, no, this is planets not, not as we it. know them?
1: Exactly. So the thing is with bl- um, supermassive black holes, so these are black holes that are kind of a million times the mass of the sun or maybe um, even more than that. Um, so these, these are really, really um, sort of big nasty objects and they, when they become AGN or they have an AGN property when they're feeding and we've talked about this a few times where you have these big jets of material which come out, uh, these jets are coming out perpendicular to the disks if you like. So if you sort of imagine the geometry then you've got the black hole, disk around the black hole, jets are firing off away from the disk.
0: As you say, the, the black hole is, is feeding, so there's material from the from the disc, the accretion disk around it, which is falling into the black hole. And that's a very energetic process as, you know, around the edge of the black hole it's it's being torn apart. Some of the, the mass and energy goes into the black hole and some of it gets spat out into in, in the form of various kinds of radiation and, and the, the massive magnetic fields and so on just sort of beam those off as these two beams up and down from the from the rotational axis and so you've got these active galactic nuclei which are beaming out these crazy beams of radiation okay so that's agn
1: yep so that's where the majority of the 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 energy is being lost but it's not the only way that you know they're radiating in all directions as well so you get lots of radiation coming off and heating up the disk so the very inner part of the disk is very very hot Um, which is why we can see it, for example, in the uh, black hole images. You know, this is all linked to the same physics, right?
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, I don't know about you, that feels like... That must have been a century ago when those pictures came out. When was that? Was I think that it was was last that year? Last year? Yeah. Was that 2019? Let's assume it was 2019. I have no idea. Um, but yeah, amazing images of the supermassive black hole at the center, not the center of the Milky Way, was it? They were trying no, to it was do a, that. Center of another galaxy. Center yeah. of, a, of another galaxy. And what they actually took a picture of was the, the heated up accretion disk around the black hole.
1: Yeah, and part of it, and the photons that are kind of coming around it because of that. So you've got this accretion disk now, so the inner parts of that disk are going to be pretty hostile to anything happening, really. You've got pretty intense radiation coming from the black hole, it's pretty hot, and so when we talk about forming planets, what we need to form planets is a relatively calm environment, because you're thinking you've got tiny, tiny particles of dust uh, that, are, that is forming this accretion disk, and and um, that sort of dust is kind of, it's micron-sized, so it's uh, cigarette smoke particles are kind of similar sized. And um, you've got to get these things, if you want to build a planet, you've got to get these things to stick together, right? If you make them too hot and if you give them too much energy in and too much velocity, then these things are not going to stick together. They're just going to kind of bounce off each other, whiz around.
0: Right. So as you say, you need a fairly calm environment, which... Doesn't sound like the kind of environment that you're going to get around a, uh, an active uh, supermassive black hole, really.
1: No, so you've got to go a little bit further away from it. Yeah. So you've got to, you've got to move out. Just back off. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and in fact, the first um, piece of research was really looking at this and saying, well, you've got to be beyond what we call the snow line. Uh, and the snow line is a term that we use, in, um, I think we've talked about before. Eben yeah, I think Synergy. so. A few episodes ago. Um, in our own solar system, we talk about the snow line because this is the dividing line, if you like, between the inner rocky planets and the outer gassy planets.
0: Okay, so why is it called the snow line? It's got something to do with freezing, I see. Yeah,
1: so it's when water freezes icy particles. You know, volatiles, we say, freeze. Um, and that makes them sticky. Right. So it means it's easier to build things because you've got this kind of sticky, um, icy stuff, which is also helping you stick together the particles of dust.
0: So is that the reason I'm just I'm just piecing together my memory from that episode a few episodes back. Is that the reason why you tend to get really big planets out further out beyond the snow line and smaller rocky planets on the inside of the snow line? Exactly. Is that, yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. So the sticky, icy, dusty stuff forms these the cores of the gas giants very, very quickly. Right. Okay. And this is kind of the same process uh, for a black hole. Uh, planet. Um, so but the only difference is, I guess, in terms of scale. So in our solar system, the snow line is kind of between Mars and uh, Jupiter. So like I don't know, four astronomical units, four times the distance from Earth to the Sun, something like that. Here we're talking about a few parsecs away from the supermassive black
0: hole. Okay. So we're we're about to we're about to get into testing Chris's memory of distance scales in the universe. Remind us what a parsec is.
1: Uh, so, Parsec is just over three light years. Oh, what?
0: <laughs> so, hang on. You're talking about a, a, a radius of a planetary orbit of light years away? Yeah. From the black <laughs> hole?
1: Well, that's how far away you've got to be to be safe. <laughs> that's,
0: that's nuts. Like, Okay, if you were to take from the Earth, how far away to the nearest star other than the sun? how far away is it so
1: we're just over a parsec so we're about three and a bit light years so
0: we're talking in the same order To to the nearest star to us that's the planetary distance from a supermassive black hole that's okay so when you said earlier yeah planets but but not not as we know them that's that's at least one of the reasons why that's insane Okay. Yeah. Right. So you've really got to back off from an active galactic nucleus, supermassive black hole, in order to have a have a chance in hell of of making yeah. And making these are what planet. we call
1: low luminosity AGN. So these are the ones that are kind <laughs> of you know, this is the easy one. The calm ones. Yeah. <laughs> They're not the big scary ones that we've talked about. You know, firing off star formation and other galaxies and doing all sorts of. wonderful Oh,
0: stuff. good lord! I love it. So yeah. Okay. You can make a you can make a planet. But you've really got to back off a bit. Okay, fine. All right, we can absorb that.
1: Yeah. And then, okay, so you've got this new location where you can form planets. And the, the good thing is, you know, the, the time scales work. So you can make them in about a million years, which is useful because, okay. you know, the universe is older than that. Sure. You know, you've always got to check your sums when you're doing these kind of things. Yeah, yeah.
0: because that does come up from time to time. You know, occasionally it's like, but hang on, the amount of time required to do this thing that we observe in the universe is longer than the current age of the universe, we think. Maybe something's gone wrong there. Yeah. So that's good. It's always good to come within parameters.
1: Yeah. Um, And so that was the kind of the first sort of uh, piece of theory work that was done by this team. Uh, the second piece, which came out in July, was basically, let's refine this model. Let's figure out what sort of masses we might get. What are we, what are these planets really going to look like if they do form? We're going to use some better physics. We're going to use some more um, incorporation of the fact that you've got this wind. which We call it a wind. It's like the radiation coming from the AGN, So that's kind of pushing particles around a little bit. Is that a bit like um, the
0: solar wind coming from the sun? Yeah, it's yeah, the okay. same concept. Right. Yeah.
1: Radiation that comes from this only, AGN. only bigger. Yeah, just a few orders of magnitude. <laughs> just, just a bit. Um, yeah, so what we what they were able to do is they sort of looked at a black hole that was about a million solar masses. And uh, that's, you know, it's a moderately small central supermassive black hole. <laughs> Our one's a bit bigger than that. Our one's about four or three to four um, times that. Right. Um, and they were able to say, okay, well, about 13 light years away from this Black hole.
0: 13 light years away. Okay, so we're up to several parsecs now.
1: Then you've got the kind of conditions where you've got this kind of sticky rocks. You've overcome problems of, you know, the particles moving around too fast. Um, And you can stick everything together and you can have some planets. And interestingly enough, the planets turn out to be quite big.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Like, how big? I mean, Jupiter's big. But how how big are you talking about?
1: So between twenty and three thousand times the mass of the Earth.
0: Twenty and three thousand. Now how how big is Jupiter by comparison in Earth uh, masses? Uh,
1: so it's sort of well, size-wise, it's about a hundred times bigger than the Earth.
0: Right. So we're talking potentially up to thirty times the size of Jupiter.
1: Yeah. That's
0: uh, that's quite big, isn't that kind of pushing? Pushing the limits of what can be a planet. I mean, I kind exactly. of, I kind of thought Jupiter was already wandering in the direction of uh, kind of a failed star, maybe, or is it not nearly that far yet?
1: I think, I think we normally say about thirteen times the mass of Jupiter is a what we call a brown dwarf, right, which is technically a type of star rather than a type okay. of so, planet.
0: So the larger end of these planets is definitely into eh, but is that a planet though or is that a blah at this point is that a is that a star or a planet that we've just formed in our model.
1: Yeah. So well yeah I mean we have to say brown dwarfs are not like stars as you as you know them they're not bright twinkly lovely things like the sun. They are they don't fuse hydrogen like the sun does they fuse deuterium which is much less efficient so they don't really produce very much energy they just kind of warm themselves up a little bit
0: but they are but they are fusing they, they are you know are the engines have been turned on it is like d- does that make it a star does does that fact alone that it's that it's got fusion reactions going on does that make it a star what is a I star think, emily
1: well <laughs> that's a really good question
0: hang on no wait 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 a minute this is one of those moments where I'm looking at you on the Zoom and I'm thinking, surely, like, come on, astronomy, this is your bread and butter. This is what's a planet and what's a star. And I would have thought you'd have a really, really simple response to that, what's a star. And you're telling me that's complicated?
1: Well, there's no formal definition for what a star is. What do you
0: mean there's no formal definition? There's got to be. It's a star. That's what you do.
1: Well, yeah, maybe. I mean, I think that these things, these... Um, brown dwarfs are pretty you know they really don't they do a little bit of fusion but only just to heat themselves up a little bit and then they sort of run out and they just you know they're only a few hundred degrees usually they just sort of blob around are they <laughs> just a warm planet or are they a, well if know, they are
0: a cool star, star they're not a particularly useful one okay fair enough yeah, i'm just still, I'm, I'm amazed by that, that that the notion that well you know stars it's 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 complicated I think that's hilarious. Okay. Well, they're so, a star
1: when we want them to be, and they're a planet when we want them to be.
0: Come <laughs> about. It's, useful. it's a very pragmatic uh, discipline that you're that you're in here, Emily. So okay, we're we're 13-ish thirteen ish light years away, and we've got planets, and I'm gonna put big air quotes around that, which are potentially up to thirty times the size of Jupiter and and may or may not be, you know, actual bona fide brown dwarf stars at that point these are not planets as we as we normally know them
1: no and it gets a little bit weirder again because if you think sort of think something that's 13 times the mass of jupiter what or a few times the mass of jupiter what you're probably doing in your mind is just scaling up jupiter and saying you know let's just make a bigger version of that
0: that's what i have in mind i've just got a really big really big jupiter yeah
1: But the problem is that Jupiter has a lot of atmosphere, like a lot of atmosphere, right?
0: It's atmosphere most of the way down, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's a huge, huge envelope of atmosphere. These planets probably only have really, really tiny atmospheres, if any at all.
0: Right. So, hang on. I'm trying to figure out what that looks like then. Because when I think of Jupiter, I think of, like, it's a gas giant, right? So when I say, when I say, this may not be what your interpretation is, when I say it's atmosphere all the way down. I'm thinking it's like you've got to go a long way before you find anything that, that kind of looks like a, a, a solid surface. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or at least, you know, a liquid or something, some kind of surface, something that I think of as a surface. What, so what are you talking about here then? When you say it's a very, very thin.
1: I guess it means that you've just basically got a very large lump of rock.
0: Really? That that big?
1: <laughs> that big, I mean the core will be not solid I mean it doesn't take an enormous um, size of rock to you know to have the pressure in the interior become so great that you've liquefied your solid material
0: okay so from the so, dense the, just the sheer the sheer mass the sheer weight of all of that stuff sitting above it you're you're going to you know put that core under enormous pressure and liquefy it but but the, as you get further out, you, there's a massive, enormous, its just staggeringly enormous lump of rock. Really?
1: Yeah. So the thing is, there's just no gas for this rock to pick up in this um, distance from the black hole. Because wow. the gas has been pushed away from the radiation from the black hole. So that's much, much further out in the um, disk. So you've, you've just got no gas to make an atmosphere from.
0: So Jupiter, we think of Jupiter... It's it's got this, this core which has been created because working our way backwards. You've got the the snow line and so you've got lots of little sticky particles where where the the, the the small bits and pieces have been able to to sort of freeze and stick together and form clumps and bigger and bigger clumps, but you've also got then once it gets big enough it can start capturing the gases within the the, the disk around the sun as these planets are forming and it's capturing more and more and more gases and you end up with this huge gas giant Right? Is that is that vaguely right that's about Jupiter? Exactly
1: right. Yeah. Okay. But the thing with that's different with these our gas giants is that they had that gas there. Now that gas wasn't there for very long, so they right. had to kind of grow, catch it, and then the sun kind of turned on, started its solar wind, and blew away the rest of the gas, and then they had they would stopped. That was it. There was right. no more atmosphere accretion.
0: But what you're saying about these huge planets is that you know the clumpiness is there. You're way out of this ridiculous distance of the of the snow line, but the the physics is still the same. And you're able to clump little bits together to make larger chunks. But that just keeps happening. You get bigger and bigger, bigger, bigger lump, but there's no gas for it to gather to become an even bigger gas giant. It's just got the lump on a massive scale.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, the difference is that a black hole just doesn't sort of switch on one day like a star does, right?
0: Yeah, I guess that, I guess that kind of makes sense. Wow. So enormous rocky
1: planets? Probably yeah, rocky slash rocky icy. They're probably a little bit lower density than sort of the inner terrestrial planets, but uh, yeah, still pretty weird.
0: But hard surfaces. Like in principle, you could land on it.
1: In principle, definitely. In
0: principle, I'm not. I'm not saying this is going to happen anytime soon. I'm just saying in principle, in in a way that you couldn't land on Jupiter, uh, and and do anything useful. You you could in principle land on. Like I'm just trying to wrap my head around when you say large lump rocky type planet, that's what you're talking about. You could you could sort of walk on it. Yeah. In principle. Yeah.
1: And you might want to go for the lower end of that twenty to three thousand times the mass of it <laughs> would be my recommendation.
0: Well, I mean, I would have thought if we're going to try to do this at all, there are probably a whole bunch of things that we need to think about before we, you know, start strapping people onto a rocket and sending them in the direction of one of these things. The first of which being finding one.
1: Well, I've got a quote from the um paper, first paper here from November from uh, Wader. The uh the standard techniques of and um, you know, I'm sentence in context of the, we were talking about the standard techniques of finding exoplanets. The standard techniques are hopeless.
0: <laughs> well, let's not beat around the bush here. I mean, <laughs> You know, why don't you tell us what you really think, guys? What, what do they mean I, I, by that?
1: I, I enjoyed that statement. <laughs> what, do
0: they, what do they mean by that? Like, like why? Why is it? Why is it, it hopeless? It
1: means that all the ways that we currently use to find exoplanets uh, around stars, which are, you know, for the most part, quite close to us in our galaxy, mm-hmm. uh, we, we've talked about things like transits. We've talked about using Doppler shifts. Uh, all these kind of techniques, even imaging directly, all of these things just don't work when you're right <laughs> next to a black hole because this whole environment is so shrouded and you know it's so so opaque because of this, this sort of dusty tourist you just can't even see into it
0: so all of the all of the ways that we would normally do this let's go we, we think that there are going to be planets let's go and look for some our normal techniques are not going to work so any suggestions any any thoughts here
1: yeah they made a couple of them but they were very kind of like meh yeah, <laughs> you could maybe, like, because you can sort of see, you can make measurements of the kind of the disk, the disk, dusty disk broadly, um, spectroscopically. So maybe you could kind of look for some opacity changes in that disk that were related to kind of has the um, disk was trying to coagulate that might change the opacity a little bit. But it was kind of pretty speculative. <laughs> and only, only, only warranted a sentence or something.
0: Yes. <laughs> With, with with a lot of asterisks in it. Yeah, maybe you could do this, but look, we don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Hey, Emily, how how big is the accretion disk around a supermassive black hole like we're talking about? I mean, if we're going out to several parsecs, in in which we're talking about this is this is where you might conceivably possibly, if you found a way to look for it, you might find a planet. But presumably an accretion disk would go much, much bigger than that. So how, how big is the area of influence around a supermassive black hole? I mean, arguably well, it's the whole galaxy in a sense because the whole thing's swirling around, et cetera. But, but the accretion disk, how, how big is that? Well, I just
1: pulled up um, from the paper that there's a little cartoon from paper one um, which shows kind of the a cross-sectional cutaway of what, you know, supermassive black hole in the area, big disk. Um, so where we're talking about is kind of like around 10 parsecs away, so, you know, uh, 30 light years or so up to that for for our planets.
0: Right. So that's about three times the distance that you had been talking about out to the snow line. Is that right? Yeah. So that's kind of
1: where we're talking about these planets forming. And then they've got kind of a thin disk all the way out in this diagram up to about 100 parsecs.
0: Wow. I mean, what it really points out to me is like we get used to certain... um, certain distance scales when we talk about this stuff and the and the solar system now that it's becoming pretty familiar to us as a as a species you know it wasn't that long ago that even the solar system was completely mysterious but now we're fairly comfortable with the notion of a star and a bunch of planets going out to you know the outer ones neptune and and even pluto will will include pluto and then that's that's a sort of a distance scale of solar system kind of kind of size you're now introducing a distance scale which is scaled up by a massive degree in in all ways you're talking about the central you know star like object whether that's an actual star or a supermassive black hole and in the case of our sun or in the case of the supermassive black hole which is what a million several million suns worth of mass that's a massive massive spectrum of what you can have in the middle of this system and then out to sort of you know, Earth distance scales, astronomical units, 1 AU, all the way out to several, if not dozens of light years of distance. You know, the distance to the next star and beyond being conceivably something that we would talk about in the same breath as a planetary system. Like, that's that's nuts. How do you astronomers cope with with that kind of ambiguity about what you what we talk about when we say oh yeah that's a planetary system that's fine
1: yeah we, I mean we're very good at writing down big numbers we've just got to kind of keep ourselves <laughs> keep ourselves a little bit grounded and that's why we do have all these crazy astronomical thing units that like things like parsecs because it becomes much much easier to talk about parsecs than sort of millions and millions and millions and millions of kilometers right yeah
0: and it, it kind of scales it all down to well we're just talking single numbers now we're just talking you know numbers in the units or the tens rather than ludicrous numbers of zeros but do you ever get caught out by it like do you ever do you ever feel the need to go and breathe heavily into a paper bag for a bit to just calm yourself (laughs) down when you think about some of this stuff
1: yeah i guess so but this is what i love about astronomy this is one of the things that drew me into it is the mind-bogglingness of the the unimaginability of some of these things that we talk about that's that was always something that i really enjoyed maybe i'm just very um narcissistic and i just want to break my brain all the time (laughs)
0: Yeah, we've gotten used to that concept. Let's go and find one bigger. I'm sure we can do that.
1: So if if you're sort of struggling with the distances that we've got, you know, planets going around black holes at distances you might think of normally stars going around them.
0: Which, can I just point out, I am struggling with that. Emily seems to be fine with it, but I'm I'm just in a corner here, you know, rocking backwards and forwards mentally at the moment. But yeah, carry on.
1: Well, here's the amazing thing: we can flip it all around and say, well, let's talk about stars orbiting a supermassive black hole at the distance you'd normally talk about planets.
0: Wait, wait, sorry, what stars? Okay, we've <laughs> talked about this in a previous episode as well. I think I think we've we've come across. Well, actually, Nobel episode Prizes, 16. wasn't it? well back to 16 well, but yeah, also we more Holes and Nobel was...
1: prizes yeah, yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah so this has come yeah. up we've talked about this on a couple of occasions but hang on back up a minute stars orbiting like planets okay T- talk to me about this R- b- bring me in
1: <laughs> so these are our squeezers
0: this is our second second new word of the day
1: well yeah it's it's amazing cuz i I'm, i must hold up my so planets is a 2020 word that's fine i'm, I'm okay. good you know we can, we can talk about new, new word 2020. Maybe it should be the new word instead of lockdown for the OED or something. I,
0: I would know. fully support that. I think we need to write to our local MP.
1: Um but squeezars I was completely unaware is actually a pretty old word. It's from two thousand and three.
0: Really? Wow. Yeah, Which <laughs> but I was just completely Makes oblivious me feel to really it. old to think two thousand that's not that old. No, it actually is it's seventeen years ago, Chris. Oh yeah, okay, right.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know, time is awful. <laughs> um <laughs> so squeezars are stars that go so close to a supermassive black hole that they tr- orbit faster than about three percent of the speed of light.
0: Now, 3% isn't a very large number, but when you're talking about the speed of light, 3% of the speed of light is ludicrously fast. Like, that's really, 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 really quick. Now...
1: That's 9,000 kilometres per second, if you want to kind of speedo, really. Okay,
0: but we know, thanks to Albert Einstein and and all the thought that, that comes around him and after him, we know that these things are all relative, right? Because, you know, right now... Here, on, on the face of the Earth, we are going around the sun at some ridiculous speed, uh, and we don't even notice. It doesn't even, uh, you know, ruffle our hair, as as Tim Minchin once said. So, you know, s- speed is relative, and, and these numbers can be very big. I'm I'm right, aren't I, that the sun is at this very moment, our solar system at this very moment, is itself orbiting around the center of our galaxy, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. Do you
0: know yep. off the, off the top of your head how fast we are travelling around the center of our galaxy?
1: We travel about 220 kilometers per second.
0: Okay, so so that's like that's fast, right? That's that's quick. We are moving at quite a pace around the center of our galaxy and that's that's kind of rel- relative to the to the galaxy itself. And we don't really notice that. But how fast did you say this this star is going around the supermassive black well, hole?
1: To be called a squeezer, you need to be going more than nine thousand kilometers per second. nine
0: thousand. So we're going a couple of hundred and that's nine thousand. So that's ten that's like tens of times faster than we are currently moving, which is very, very fast indeed. All right, so we're zooming in right on the center of the galaxy here, aren't we?
1: And we've been here before.
0: We have been here (laughs) before.
1: maybe not us literally, but (laughs) we have talked about this this area of our universe before.
0: We have. So take us through it again. Yeah,
1: the Milky Way galaxy, we've got a supermassive black hole at the centre of our galaxy. It's about, uh, yeah, between three and four million times the mass of the sun. But what you're going to have to keep in your mind here is that it is small in terms of actual physical size, right? Black hole, yeah. big mass, small, small area. Yeah. Um, I didn't write down today how big it is, but it's it's not it's not very big.
0: I seem to remember it's kind sort of, of I think roughly a sol- isn't it solar system sized or something like that. It's in the order of. Well, that, it's
1: or? it's it's smaller than that, but yeah, it's it's maybe like a couple of times the size of the sun or something something like right,
0: that okay. order. Okay. Okay. Anyway, small but ludicrously massive. Yep.
1: And we've talked about um how we've done measurements of stars orbiting this because you know, it's just an inky black spot in the middle of our galaxy. There's nothing physically to see there that we can detect. We can detect X-rays coming from this broad area of our galaxy um, and we can see stars which are orbiting something and these stars are orbiting in these crazy, crazy orbits because of the gravitational force is so incredibly strong.
0: Yeah, and again, it's, it's just orbiting the way the Earth orbits the sun, but it's orbiting something very, 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 very massive and these stars are moving very 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 fast for four stars
1: yeah so we talked about um s2 all the way back in episode 16
0: yeah so tell tell us about s2 again
1: yeah so s2 had what used to be it used to be the fastest star it's fastest squeezer in our um galaxy um and then when we did the episode which was in all the way back in 2018 goodness all those years ago Um, it was actually going to closest approach. And that was important because it's on a 16-year orbit and we want to observe kind of the whole orbit to test theories of like general relativity. How does gravity work uh, at these very, very insane high masses?
0: (laughs) Yeah, because for for most orbits, you can just use Newton, can't you? Newton's physics, the old physics, the classical physics, works really, really well for most orbits. But even within our own solar system, Newton starts to get a bit hazy around the edges when you get in close to the sun like mercury, right? There's there's Einsteinian, there's general relativity stuff going on with mercury, isn't there?
1: Yeah, yeah. You need to you need to include general relativity into your equations to calculate mercury's orbit correctly.
0: Yeah, for for mercury you need general relativity and that's just That's just with the sun. That's just with a a common or garden variety yellow star. When you get in close to a supermassive black hole, it's, it's all about the general relativity. And so when S2 gets in nice and close, presumably by measuring its orbit, you can get some really good comparisons between is general relativity applicable here or not to quite a good amount of precision.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, so S2, when we did the episode, was the the uh, fastest orbiting star around our um, black hole. It was actually superseded in 2019
0: by S62. S62. Are these, now, are these S's, S2, S62, they're presumably anything from s1 all the way out beyond s62 are they are they stars that are orbiting this supermassive black does the s stand yeah. for supermassive or does it stand for sagittarius because we're in Sagittarius That's a good question.
1: I, I I was thinking it stand, stood for Squeezer, but maybe oh, it's Sagittarius. Maybe well.
0: it just stands for Star, and they and they're <laughs> numbering them as you go out.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah. They're, they're numbering them, I think, as they're found. Right. They're that identified. makes more sense than my idea.
0: Yeah. 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 That's why you're an astronomer and I'm not. <laughs> uh, so then,
1: 2019 um, S62 was uh, discovered to be the fastest. Um, it had a 9.9 year orbit and is orbiting at about 118 astronomical units.
0: Wow. So that is, for a star, that's really close.
1: Yeah, it's kind of twice Pluto. Wow.
0: And they're going several percent of the speed of light at that point.
1: Exactly. Now, the interesting thing is that this is why this uh, sort of came across our radar pretty recently, is that there was a new paper published in August this year, uh, so not too long after planets. Yeah, we're um, not
0: so far out of date at this point. We're catching up. From, July, no, we're, August. We're,
1: doing, we're getting there. From uh Psyker et al. And uh, what they were looking at is they were looking at two newly discovered squeezars, which were S4714 and S4711.
0: Okay. Catchy names.
1: And they have now found not only the average closest star to the central supermassive black hole which is 4711 but the speediest the new speediest
0: squeezer, Oh all right so we got a new record breaker
1: yeah which is s4714
0: and so how how close and how speedy well we if, need numbers
1: yeah let's let's start with uh, 4711 the closest now this is the closest on average so it's not remember, closest
0: approach but it's no closest no. generally so s2 gets very close and what was the other one s62
1: Four seven one four yeah one sixty
0: two yeah um, sixty two. They are presumably on very elliptical orbits, so they get in really close and then they go quite a long way away, and they come in really close and get a really long way away. Whereas this new, on average, closest one is it more of a closer to a circle type orbit? Is that yeah
1: yeah exactly yeah. It's not quite circular, but it's it's less elliptical than the right. others. So this one's on a seven point six year orbit.
0: Wow. Okay that's that's getting really quick
1: Yep. 144 au uh, so again this is just nearly three times Pluto's orbital distance but that now that's the average distance right mm-hmm. so um, even though I said s2 was coming into 118 that's its, as you say closest approach rather than its average distance average distance is further than that so there so it has the shortest orbital period this uh, 4711 and the smallest mean distance Two records
0: Goodness me. Well, well done. Well done, that star. That, well done, that squeeze R. So that's exciting. And the other one was?
1: S4714, which is the new record for The Speediest. And the. I think it's got the closest approach, therefore. I didn't write down what the closest. Uh, yes, I did write down the closest approach. Yeah. Okay,
0: so it's got, it, it's, it's got two new records as well. Do they? I guess they would come hand in hand, wouldn't they? That Yes. In order to know. be The Speediest, you have to be getting the closest. That's how that works. Yeah, okay.
1: So it's, um, S4714 is on a 12-year orbit, um, um, but when it is at closest approach, it is only 12.6 astronomical units from the black hole.
0: Wow. So where does that put it in solar system terms?
1: So that's, so Saturn is at 9 astronomical units, so and Uranus a, is kind of 18-ish. It's
0: just a bit beyond Saturn. Wow. That's absolutely <laughs> nuts. And how fast is it going at that point?
1: So it's going eight percent of the speed of light. Eight
0: percent, rounded up to the nearest really good number, and that's that's like that's a tenth. It's like, holy cow! Twenty-four
1: thousand kilometers per second.
0: Per second, that is nuts. Okay, so now might be a good time to ask the question: Why is a squeezer? Called a squeeze, ah, what, what's the what's the squeeziness? Why, why a squeeze, ah?
1: Um, so the well, what's interesting about most of these squeezers? Because they're on the, these elliptical orbits, mm. they get incredibly different tidal forces as they move towards the black hole, and then when they move away from it. So the the change in gravitational force that these um, stars experience kind of is is huge <laughs> so just that change in force causes them to kind of morph and well we, we haven't seen them morph but you know the the difference in tides like the difference in tides on the surface of the earth causes the oceans to to rise up and fall right, down right. same thing happens with plasma and stars uh, so they're probably being sort of squeezed and tugged and well, all gravitationally thrown
0: all about particularly when you're coming in somewhere around the orbit of saturn moving it Let's call it ten percent of the speed of light. There'd be uh, there'd be a bit of squeezing going on. That's that's just bloody amazing. So you're talking about s, and then the number is in the four thousands. I remember seeing some some data and some animation from um, Andrea Gez's group, who have done like she she and colleagues got uh, the Nobel Prize. This year for their was it this year for their work on what is it what even is time for their work on on uh, you know these stars around the supermassive black hole and I remember seeing uh, some animations of maybe you know a dozen or so stars like how how many stars are being studied around this supermassive black hole like it, oh, does that does that number sort of stand up to we're looking at thousands of these things now or is that just coincidence?
1: I think we've only got a handful still. I don't know where the numbers why the numbers have gone so high. I think it might just be from initial catalog um identifications of candidates and then kind of most of them turn out to not be uh super great. So I think we've got maybe on the order of about 10 uh good candidates that we can right. track. Right. Yeah, maybe it's a few more than that, but uh you know, they're not they're not super common, I think these things.
0: This is this this particular podcast is blowing my mind somewhat on a, on a number of different on a number of different levels we've had we've had planets which are just stupidly big lumps of rock ludicrous distances away from from very very heavy supermassive black holes and then we've got stars where planets should be traveling 10% of the speed of light in in crazy crazy ways emily how how the hell how the hell do you measure this stuff how are these how are these people doing this
1: yeah so we do have similar problems with the center of our Milky Way galaxy as we do with other black holes supermassive black holes in other galaxies and that it's very difficult to see very close to these centers of these objects what we can do with our galaxy is use infrared to sort of peer through all the gas and dust that's shrouding the the center um, and see get some signatures from these stars
0: right because a lot of a lot of types of light like visible light is is, is all blocked you can't see with the, na- with the naked eye, the, the centre of the galaxy, you'd expect to be able to look up and just see this really, really bright part of the Milky Way, a big bright part of the sky. But you can't because there's lots of dust and stuff and so it's it's actually kind of dark. But the infrared gets through. It's not blocked by all the star, uh, all the the, the, um, the dust and stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, but you do still need a big telescope. So uh, we're talking about observations made on the VLT, the Very Large Telescope in mm-hmm. Chile, which we given a few good shout-outs to We have. Uh, we
0: have. we yeah. love the VLT, if only for its wonderful name.
1: Now, here's a little rabbit hole, which I did go down, which I think you might like. Go on, then. So, the paper mentioned uh, the instruments that they were using, which were called NACO and Sifoni.
0: NACO and Sifoni. Okay. Are these are these uh, astronomical acronyms that we're going to go with oh, here? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. NACO and Simone uh, was it? Sifoni. Sifoni. All right. Go on, then.
1: Okay, so I'll go with the first one, the second one. I thought, well, I better check what these acronyms mean, so that like, yeah, I'm, I'm well well educated. Um, Cifoni, Sifoni, S I F O N I, is the Spectrograph for Integral Field Observing in Near IR.
0: Very nice. Okay. Okay, I, mean, I can
1: I can kind of live with that. Sure,
0: sure. And I mean, disappointingly, they haven't tried to turn that around and turn it into you know a recognizable word, unless it is a recognizable word in another language, and I don't I don't know that. But you know, you do see. Uh, scientific acronyms, working really hard, like just doing a lot of legwork in order to, like, well, if we just swap a few of these words Too around, then we will have a recognisable word. We can call it giraffe or whatever it might be, like, or you could not. You know, it's a choice, and they haven't in this case. They've just coined a new word. Okay, fine. Okay, good. so
1: that's that's fairly bog standard astronomy yep. acronym, right? Good. Then, then there was Naco. Naco, and this is where I I, I got slightly amused, and I'm glad you were five minutes late because I was able to spend about. <laughs> Five minutes googling this to figure out what Naco was. So Naco is an acronym, which is an acronym.
0: It's it's an acronym within an acronym. It's it's acronym inception.
1: <laughs> NAC, Naco is an acronym of Naos and Kanika.
0: Yeah, and and they are.
1: <laughs> Naos is the Naismith adaptive optics system.
0: <laughs> and the other one?
1: Well, Kanika took me a while to find this one, but it, it is the KUDE near infrared camera.
0: You can't do it. Look, sorry, I'm going to put my foot down on this one, all right? I have issues with astronomical naming. We know this, right? People who have been listening to the podcast for a while know that I that I get upset by these things. But I'm going to say, categorically, it's not all right to make acronyms out of acronyms. You're just going too far at that point. Just make up something new. Just give it a name. Just call it, I don't know, Barry or something. Just Just give it a name. Stop with the we don't we don't want now a multi-level acronym that you have then got to go and Google for fifteen minutes in order to figure out what even is this thing. That's ridiculous, Emily. I want you to do well, something yeah. about it.
1: You might you might be encouraged therefore that uh, Naco has now been decommissioned and replaced, <laughs> I think, by Saphony. But that did tickle me a little. It's been bit.
0: decommissioned, if only because that was just ridiculous. Stop it. That's it. We're taking away your funding. We're giving it to these guys who've got a much more sensible acronym. They haven't even tried to turn it into a real word they've just put the letters down and pronounced them end of story there we are uh, all right sorry about that everyone I, I i haven't had a good rant in a while and it feels good to let that out at this point in 2020 <clears throat> so thank you for humoring me on that one emily um uh, planets squeezers mind-blowing stuff but at the end of the day where does it get us right the 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 time-honoured way of, of ending our podcast is with a bit of a so what. So I'm going to throw it at you. So what? What does this give us?
1: Well, it turns out black holes are pretty mysterious objects, right? <laughs> we don't well, know yeah. as much as we'd like to about them. Um, they're tricky to observe. They're tricky to take photographs of, certainly. Um, Although if you'd and... said
0: that 10 years ago, it's not tricky. It's impossible. You can't do it. And here we are.
1: Yeah, well, there you go. But um, they do contain some of the most extreme environments for testing physics that we have, you know, and that's just that's not just gravitation, like we talked about with the squeezers extreme gravitation, it's extreme um, ionization, it's extreme um, ra- radiation coming from these AGN, these jets. They're just extreme things that the extreme with a capital x it's hard to get
0: more extreme really i mean there's probably ways but this is this is always going to be up there as your baseline are you more extreme than a supermassive black hole no well there's the door you know off you go (laughs) not interested
1: so, yeah, but I mean, there are practical things. So, for example, the squeezers we're looking at things like the, we can constrain the rotation of a black hole, which is really important. Uh, if you don't understand how a black hole rotates, you actually don't understand its mass, which is interesting and the very difficult physics that um, Professor Roy Kerr, for example, looked at.
0: Yeah, that's right. We holes. were talking about that when we, when we talked about the, the Nobel Prize this year is, you know, the very simplest mathematical solution you can do that is black hole-like is just just a black hole it's not rotating it doesn't have any charge it's just nothing and then when you go up from there say well let's try a black hole that is rotating whoa now hang on a second that's really really hard and so tying all of these things together and being able to nail down so how how is this black hole rotating it's actually really important
1: yeah exactly And then on the sort of the planet side, uh, you're sort of looking at these environments and doing them sums, and actually, okay, you're hypothesizing whether or not these planets that we may or may not be able to see exist. But it's all about dust and physics and looking at the interaction between the black hole and its local environment, which ultimately will tell you about the black hole itself, because that's, you know, that's the stuff it's going to consume, that's where its energy source is. Um, So it's, yeah, it's all interesting stuff that we can learn more about black holes.
0: Well another episode of the podcast that blows my tiny little mind. Emily, you you do this to me every single time and it doesn't get any more pleasant for me to have my my mind just torn apart like this. But you seem to enjoy it.
1: I love it. Do it every day.
0: Do you ever do you ever worry that I guess it's the it's the opposite I asked earlier whether or not this kind of stuff you know, sends you off hyperventilating into a bag. Do you ever worry that it'll go the other way? That you'll just get so blase about talking about the most extreme stuff that you could possibly imagine and it's like, yeah uh, you know, it's just a supermassive black hole. <laughs> um,
1: I think that would be a danger if I wasn't doing things like Syzygy, because Syzygy is one of those great things that makes me sort of say, Well, actually, what does that number mean? Let's put that in a in a human thing. Let's not just put a, you know, forty two zeros after the Size of the universe. Let's think about what that is for a human.
0: And you get to get to describe it to me, and then watch me pick my jaw up off the floor and say, "Oh, yeah, maybe That's, that is fun. surprising." Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad I can help you out there. I'm glad I could offer that service. Listen, if um if you're listening at home and you similarly like me, similarly, I th- I put too many lilies in there. You similarly like me uh, have been picking your jaw up off the floor, and you want to write in to explain to Emily just how amazing this stuff really is. Or you just want to get in touch and say hi, drop us a line, ask us a question. You never know, we might uh, do an entire show about your question. Then there are a number of different ways that you can do that. Emily, name at least one way that people can get in touch with us.
1: At least one? At least one. Well, let's go with uh, good old Twitter first. Let's. Let's Twitter do that. is fun. Twitter is great. Uh, yes, so we are at Syzygy Pods, that's at with an at symbol, and then Syzygy, which is S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y, and then pod, which is pod. Yeah.
0: All one word, at Syzygy Pod. We are there. Do we have that that handle anywhere else,
1: Emily? Oh, it's like we planned this in advance, Chris. <laughs> it's
0: like we did. Yeah, it's like we had a plan. <laughs>
1: we're Pod on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on other things
0: I don't, uh, have you been no. TikToking lately I haven't been TikToking no, no, I can't no. I can't keep up with the kids and their TikToks um, but we also have a website which is syzygy.fm where you can go and find all of the past episodes all of the show notes and all of that stuff as well as our great wall of thanks for all of our wonderful supporters over on patreon.com slash syzygypod that's another one If you want to help out the show financially, then you can wander over there and pledge a couple of bucks, a couple of quid a month to help us keep the lights on, keep the electrons flowing through the website, and help us to do, when the world does eventually completely open back up again, things like live shows and festivals and all of those fabulous things that we really enjoy doing to, to actually see some members of the listening audience, which is always great fun. The other way that you can support the show, the best way you can support the show, is by telling people. Tell people, tell your friends and family, and say, there's this show, and it's full of amazing stuff like, have you ever heard of a planet or a squeezer? No, then go and listen to Syzygy. That's what you've got to do. Tell them about it. Spread the word. Leave us a review on your podcast client of choice, whether it's Apple podcasts or whether it's Spotify or wherever it might be. Leave us a review. Tell people how much you enjoy it. Give us a few stars. Help us to rise up through the noise so that more and more people can share in the jaw-dropping delight of learning about the universe. But I guess that's where we're going to have to leave it. Emily, the next time I speak to you, you're going to be on the other side of the planet. Right.
1: Well, hopefully, or maybe uh, maybe hope. we can, well, we might even be able to squeeze our another recording in uh, before <laughs> I go. We might.
0: I see what you did there. Very nice. Well, look, if we do manage to speak before you go, then that'll be coming up real soon. And if not, then I'll be speaking to you sometime towards Christmas from your <laughs> from your hotel of isolation down there in New Zealand, which will be entertaining in and of itself. So until then, uh, take care, everyone, wherever you are. Emily, take care. I'll catch up with you again soon. See you later. Bye, everybody.
1: I don't think I'd want to spend 2020 on a planet. was just my thought. Oh, look,
0: could it be worse?
1: I think it would be worse because even if it's kind of this like fully irradiated lump of rock that's very very high gravitational field because it's very massive. The problem is that twenty twenty might last something like a million years on a planet.
0: Oh no, no 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 no. Okay, no, you've just won me over. Yeah, it could be worse. (laughs) It could be worse. You could be on a planet, and it could be lasting like forever. Let's let's not do that.